This podcast is brought to you by Grandpa Still Remembers. Grandpa Paul's practical parables are part of his real-life experiences. What is learned from the life we live has a lot to do with the perspective that defines our priorities. What is remembered is colored by our perception of the purpose for which we have the privilege of living in the first place. Abrahamu Gets Old Last week I shared with you that though Abrahamu was faithfully coming to work every school day, he was getting old. Was it possible that he could no longer see the dirt the new principal saw as his failure to do his job properly? Had the expectation as to how often fires were needed increased? While waiting for some dorm leftovers, was his falling asleep sitting in the kitchen an indication that he was just too tired to keep up? Maybe there just wasn't enough sugar in his chawa. Is it enough to just be faithful? Does he still need to do his job? What are God's expectations of his servants? Are we not to be faithful to the end and continue to do what he gives us to do? I think we often begin to focus on what we are doing rather than the one for whom we are doing it. We may be inclined to give up when we feel we haven't been successful, haven't been given more recognition, a higher position, or more respect. When God is in charge and we remain faithful, is it possible he wants more time with us and less busyness? Was Abrahamu a failure when he fell asleep on the job? Eleanor and I returned to the States for our furlough and lost touch with what was going on at Rathi. It turned out that Abrahamu was retired by the new principal and his son Isaka was hired to take his place. All was no doubt in order, and he even received a watch as part of the thanks expressed at his retirement celebration. Everyone no doubt remembered his many faithful years of service at Rathi. I wasn't there, but he did show me his blue watch. Ellen and I returned from our furlough to take up our responsibilities at the dorm. It wasn't long before Abrahamu presented himself at our door, stating his readiness to return to work. We heard that he had refused to hand over the school keys to his son and had beaten him. Apparently, retirement was a totally unsatisfactory solution from his perspective. I had learned about how retirement works in Zaire when we had retired Ebele several years earlier. In spite of the committee decisions, the official documents, and the retirement watch, I gave Abrahamu Longa the job of teaching his son how to do the work he had done for so many years. We called him a par jour, a day laborer, receiving his pay each month depending on the number of days recorded in Silvana's roll call book. Though not officially an employee, he was still one of the dorm workers, and he now belonged again. Eventually, Isaka took over, and I think he even got to carry the keys. I have no idea if Abrahamu came every workday, or if he actually taught Isaka anything new that he didn't already do better than his dad had. He did show up fairly often, and spent time visiting with the men in the dorm kitchen. It was warm there, and someone else built the fire. They also had tea and sugar. 
A few years later, all the missionaries evacuated Zaire as Ohan Kabila and his rebels swept the country to eventually depose Mobutu and put themselves in power. In view of the extensive looting that had taken place, it was very unlikely that Raythe Academy would ever open again. On my exploratory visit, I found that the school had been trashed and two of the three dorms had been burned. But at the other end of the mission station, the looting wasn't so bad, and miraculously, the press was untouched. The FM radio broadcasting equipment had been saved, and carried across several wet valleys to the Goikpa Church. The four-bay antenna and the materials imported to build the broadcasting tower were still in the back of the press and in the untouched shipping container. I made arrangements to initiate repairs to the house, which was to become our new home, near the press and the temporary radio broadcasting studio, near the tree with the antenna strapped to its top. Things in the country had settled down, so we were allowed to return to Raythe and were assigned to again direct the work at the printing press and to continue working on the new radio station to be erected on Poole Hill, halfway to Quandermont. A number of the former dorm workers showed up at our new home. Abrahamo was among the old men from the dorm that later joined us for tea. Hosea, the former head cook, Timona, the oldest one in the kitchen who monitored the baking, and Musa were there too. Ellen enjoyed serving her cooks the sweet bread she and Marco had prepared. Abrahamo placed several teaspoons full of sugar in his tea, showing his appreciation with his noisy sipping and the smacking of his heavy lips. We saw Abrahamo from time to time when he came to visit. He asked us for blue air forms so he could write to his children in America. He brought his letters written in Kingwana for Ellen to address, fold, and seal. A phrase that showed up repeatedly was Tuma Dollards, send dollars. Of course, we needed to add the Kenya stamps in order to send the letters out through Bunya for mailing in Nairobi. Abrahamu visited often enough to have a favorite woven wicker chair that was by the door in the kitchen where he and Marco shared their tea. The single sideband radio network monitored and used by the Raythe Hospital brought us the message that my elderly mother had passed away. The Ankh bus service in neighboring Uganda was still operating in spite of a number of buses having been attacked and destroyed by bandits in the Murchison Falls Park. We would follow that road en route to Nairobi for me to get a flight to Florida to join the rest of my family while Ellen stayed at Kijabi. A war had recently returned from purchasing medicines in Kampala, and when responding to our concerns said, If it's your day, it's your day. We took the Ankh bus and got through safely. It wasn't yet our day. In a couple weeks, we again used the Ankh bus service, passing three burned-out wrecks in the Murchison Falls Park as we headed back to Raythe. How old Abrahamu learned that we had returned, I'll never know, but it wasn't long before he came to visit. Ellen opened the back door in response to his weak knock. He may have been leaning on the door because he stumbled forward, falling face down on the cement floor. She called Marco and I from the woodpile for help. Abrahamo had no strength to help Marco and I get him on his feet. I held him erect as Marco got his favorite wicker chair and put it behind him. 
When he was seated, he leaned against the countertop, watching silently as Marco prepared his tea. Export quality Catepa tea leaves from Kenya were used to make the brew. To my question asking about where he had had tea when we were away, his weak answer wasn't very clear. I did discover that he had had no sugar since he had last taken tea with us. In the dukas, the rhino chai that makes you strong like rhino was sold in little green packets, but I'm sure he would never buy tea like that. Tea was also sold in the marketplace, measured out with a small tomato paste tins into the customer's container. That tea was the small stems, twigs, and sticks that were heavier than the tea leaves and dropped first when the blower at the tea factory sorted the quality tea from the debris. I doubt Abrahamu could even afford that. He probably had hot water that tasted like smoke if he had the wood to make a fire at home. The fragrance of the boiling tea, his fascination as he watched Marco fill his cup and the warmth of the kitchen was making him sleepy. Marco added some milk. Abrahamu tried to sit up when Marco placed his cup, a spoon, and the sugar bowl within reach. Adding his own sugar into the cup took considerable concentration. Carefully, he added one spoonful after another. Though a little spilled, he scraped the last from the sugar bowl into his cup and began slowly stirring. He may have encountered resistance because of the quantity of sugar he had used to prepare his supersaturated solution. With two hands, he raised the cup to his lips. The idea of this being a reverent ceremony crossed my mind. Abrahamo became talkative. I asked him questions, and he became ever more animated, raising his voice. He became Abrahamo I had known all those years. He again began asking about my former classmates at Ravi, wondering if they had sent any dollars back from America for him. By now he had drunk all the liquid from his teacup and was consuming with a relish spoonful after spoonful of tea-colored sugar from his cup. Later, I asked him if he wanted me to take him back home to Bois, but no, he wanted to go to Quandrum and Marketplace. I was concerned that he would be unable to walk home from Raythe, and now he was insisting he wanted to go to the market. That would add about three additional kilometers to his walk back home. I had only a motorcycle, so we would have to ride double to the market. Either he was uncomfortable holding on to me, or he was unable to hold on tightly, and it didn't seem like this would work very well. He wasn't able to lift his feet up to place them on the passenger foot pegs, so Ellen helped him get them in place. At first the road was fairly smooth, and I drove slowly, but when we came to the old mud hole near where the soldiers' camp used to be, I could tell that he was about to fall off the bike. The mud had dried, but the hardened ruts were so uneven that it was nearly impossible to keep the bike erect. With the help of Jeff, who had been following on his smaller motorcycle, we again got his feet on the pegs and continued our slow progress for a couple more kilometers to stop at the market. He didn't want me to wait for him, to take him home. A mutual friend told me he would watch him, so I headed back home. An earlier sponsor of the radio outreach effort heard that it was possible to continue the work and sent $25,000 to begin construction of a new radio studio at Pooh. 
We used bricks from the titchy dorm that had burned down and rock that was dug locally and hauled to the site. The work was progressing well, and the 110-foot tower erected. Ellen had Abrahamu, Timona, and Musa join us for tea and cookies several more times. We would visit for a while, but I returned to work as soon as I could. We sent letters to America for Abrahamu, but I can't recall any dollars coming from his friends, who were mostly my former Raythi classmates. Our time in the new DRC abruptly came to an end when we were told by the church to leave Raythi. The Landu and Hema tribes were in conflict at nearby Blukwa. The Landus were killing and driving away the Hema. An entire village of more than 70 thatched huts had been burned. The Landu at Raythi were similarly hostile to the Allure. We evacuated again, this time by road. Some years later, we had an opportunity to send letters to our friends at Raythi and enclose some dollars. When our missionary friend returned to Bunya, he passed the letters on to trusted men to carry to Raythi. Charlie Lonu, who had worked for the Kleins, was one of those trusted men. In his two-page letter later, carried from Bunya and posted in Florida, Charlie shared a lot of news from Raythi, relating that a number of our faithful dorm workers had died, including Abrahamu. Abrahamu served several hundreds of MKs at Raythi Academy and never advanced above the level of a janitor. He lectured in his tea and wondered if those he chased to school would remember him and send him some dollars. God used him where he was, and he was faithful. God used him to call me back to Raythi. When Jesus returns, will he say to us, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Come into my kingdom. You've been listening to Paul's Parables, stories conveying a spiritual lesson from the perspective of a foreign culture.